0: it's the pete calendar show with more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in north carolina pete calendar is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time because he's a giver and now here's pete what's going on welcome to the show it is october 20th thanks so much for listening i appreciate it the show's made possible by patrons like Stephen, david NC38, Curtis and Sherry, Nick, Green, Mark, Paul, and Meredith. Uh, couldn't do the show without you guys. I appreciate that. They became patrons uh, to the program. You can as well. Just go to the description of the podcast. All the links are there. Or go to the Show.com and click the link. Uh, by the way, one of the links that you'll find will take you to the Facebook group. Lots of fun happening over there. And uh, we do some live streams, and uh, of course, all of the the shows get posted there, and people comment. So, uh, it's a, it's a lot of fun. Head on over to the com and get the links that you need in your life. Uh, let's see, we're going to take a look at the North Carolina Attorney General race today. Plus, apparently, being a serial adulterer is good for Cal Cunningham's campaign. I was not aware that that might be the case, but apparently, so that's what I am led to believe. We'll get into all of that first. Fall is here, in case you couldn't tell by the weather and the changing leaves. But uh, also, it's the Husqvarna Fall sale going on a general equipment rental now through the end of October. You can get huge savings on all sorts of equipment gas powered equipment, battery powered equipment, whatever you need, whether it's leaf blowers or trimmers, lawn mowers, like the push kind, the sitting kind, the stand on kind. They've got them all at general equipment rental. I was looking at the Husqvarna Auto Mower uh, about a week or so ago, and it, it's like a Roomba, but for your yard. <laughs> it runs all over the yard all the time, day and night. It keeps the grass cut evenly all the time, and it takes itself back to its charging station whenever it needs the charge. You pair it up to your smartphone with the Auto Mower Connect app, and it will literally map your yard, and then you can check in. Uh, Throughout the day, you can look at it, you can see where it is. Um, It even has an anti-theft technology built into it. So uh, if you take it outside of the boundaries of the, the yard, then it shuts down and then a GPS locator will help you find the thief. So it's it's really amazing technology. Never mow again, people. What is that worth to you? Go to GeneralRents.com. Get pre-qualified for 0% APR for 48 months. You can also learn about the commercial fleet discounts as well. General Equipment Rental in Weaverville. It's at the intersection of Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road. Family owned and operated for three generations. GeneralRents.com. Think outside your toolbox. Joining me now is A.P. Dillon, reporter for the North State Journal, uh, to talk about the Attorney General's race in North Carolina. A.P., how are you? Good to have you back on I'm the program. I'm great. Good. <laughs> nice, nice to be back. So, um, the Attorney General's race. Uh, first, I-, I feel the need to ask this because I feel like I've been asking it for almost 20 years now. Well, I guess it ha- probably has been 20 years. How come Republicans... <laughs> Do not seem to be able to field candidates uh, for the attorney general's race, and when they do, they don't ever seem to win. Do you have any insight as to why this is occurring? That's a
1: really good question.
0: Um, I've, as long as I've lived in North Carolina,
1: there has been a Democrat in that position um, <laughs> for the large majority of it. It was Roy Cooper. Yeah. Um, but I have no idea why they can't seem to to flip that particular seat.
0: Yeah. So before Cooper, it was Easley, and then after Cooper, it's Josh Stein, who worked for Cooper. Uh, and you go into some of the the background and the bios on the two major party candidates running um, for this office. So you've got Democrat mm-hmm. incumbent Josh Stein. You've got his challenger Jim O'Neill, the Republican. And um, so let's start with uh, let's start with O'Neill. He he is a Republican. He's run before, correct?
1: Um yes, in the past he I believe he ran the last cycle but uh Buck Newton got in ahead of him in the primary I believe it was. Mm-hmm. Um he's out of Forsyth County. Um he was uh appointed there to as district attorney um was in his third elected term there actually uh, after first being appointed in 2009. Um he spent uh the most of his time there as a prosecutor and uh he was the first the county's first dedicated domestic violence prosecutor so um there's he's got a really strong stance on domestic violence and um that that area of crime
0: yeah and yeah. we're going to come back to that because it it, it kind of dovetails into a um uh, yeah. an ad campaign that josh stein put out um and it got caused some uh caused actually one of his employees to quit uh but so you so now you got uh josh stein and uh he was um he's he's a former uh prosecutor yeah. under the D, uh, yeah. under Roy Cooper as attorney general when he was at AG uh but also what he uh he's a former state senator as well.
1: Yes, he did. He served in the General Assembly um starting I believe in 2016. Um he was uh the state senator for district 16. Um and then uh, he spent around 8 years there. Um I think Actually, no. He ended in 2016 mm-hmm. when he was starting to run for attorney general. I'm sorry, I'm I'm getting out of myself here. I need another cup of coffee. <laughs> um, so he, he started at the general assembly in 2008, and then uh, he stayed he stayed there for eight years. Um, and he ended his his stint in the legislature when he decided he was going to start focusing on his run for attorney general, which I think was in his sights prior, but he hadn't he he hadn't jumped in yet. Uh, he was, I think he was waiting for Roy Cooper to, to make a move. Um, he spent, uh, he was the fi- He's now the 50th attorney general in, in, uh, North Carolina, um, before entering the legislature, he was a staffer for Senator John Edwards. Um, and then he later was a deputy attorney general under Roy Cooper, which you mentioned. And I think that was, 2001 or 2002
0: through 2008 right um which is interesting the john edwards connection but also this um uh this sort of career trajectory this is and has been the normal course for uh, the democratic political machine in north carolina for decades right which is sort of this feeder system of the council of state races and uh, specifically, you know, lieutenant governor and attorney general positions that then uh, they then, you know, move into the governor's uh, office after uh, the previous governor gets term limited out. And so, I mean, I suspect Josh Stein has his eyes on the gubernatorial race in another four years. I suspect he would be the the hands down favorite if he wins reelection as attorney general. But he's not term limited here. He can do what Roy Cooper did and just hang around for as long as he needs to, if there's some other candidate that comes forward and the party deems that to be a better candidate, I suspect.
1: Yes, I would think so. I I think that he's probably in a holding pattern. I, I would think that he probably has his eye on the governor's mansion um for the next cycle, but um you know, he's not gonna make a move while Roy Cooper's still in there, obviously. Yeah, sure. Um he's also um He's been suing the Trump administration pretty much nonstop since he came into office. Um, That, and he seems to be focused a lot on um, scams and robocalls and and warning the public about these things, Um, but not so much defending the state on major lawsuits um, or representing the state in in major lawsuits for the most part. Um, He's also racked up a number of um, Medicaid fraud claim cases um, Throughout his history as Attorney General over the last four years, so it's interesting to see. But he hasn't uh, going back to the rape case, um, the 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 um, the sexual assault kits. uh, Mm -hmm. This was something that was holdover from the Roy Cooper administration when he was when he was Attorney General. He left office um, saying that, you know, the the backlog at the crime lab had been cleared and, that, you know, this wasn't an issue. And yet, lo well and bold, here we have like 15,000 some odd untested rape kits um, across the state of North Carolina. In fact, we were number one in the country for backlog rape kits. Um, and Stein kind of, it was like him walking into a brick wall right there. Um it's, it's hard to get an accurate count on how many rape kits were actually out there. I don't think that 15,000 number was actually accurate. Um, after the DOJ, the North Carolina DOJ did a, a, a survey to find out how many were actually really out there, they didn't get 100% response from all the counties and all the, the police precincts. Um, they only got about 92% of the agencies responding. Um, and 46 of those agencies didn't respond at all, so, so um, that number might have been higher.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, there was uh, there was some legislate legislation that was put through um, in 2018 and uh, 2019 uh, to try to end the backlog, including um, the Standing Up for Rape Victims Act in the legislature. Um, but after that, the the rape backlog kind of just you know became a hole in the water. Nobody was talking about it anymore. Um, they, uh, there was a press release from the NCDOJ at one point that said uh, that in 2018, and in going into 2019, they had tested like 904 of those backlog kits. But um, uh, there was another graphic that went along with that that said it was actually over a thousand. But we have no idea how many are updated as mm. of today. Um, I know a lot of the different counties have taken matters into their own hands. They've gotten some funding. And have knocked that down. I would imagine that Forsyth County, where O'Neill is, is probably one of the ones leading the charge, because this was something that was um, within his wheelhouse that he was really focused on.
0: Yeah. Which is which is interesting, and you mentioned this in your piece. The title is "North Carolina Attorney General Race in Spotlight as Crime Protests Grab Public Attention." It's at the North State Journal's website, nsjonline.com, uh, and uh, the 2016 election. This issue of the backlog of the kits. Uh, These test kits, Uh, this was, uh, you know, squarely at issue in the gubernatorial race between Governor or now Governor Cooper, but then Attorney General Cooper and then Governor Pat McQuarrie and Cooper assured us and and claimed You know, six ways till Sunday that all of the rape kits, the backlog was cleared out. All the kits had been tested. This wasn't an issue. And he, you know, fixed the the state crime lab. He got everything in order. Of course, he had been there 16 years. So, like, why was it out of order in the first place? But he finally, you know, he got everything fixed. That's what they said. Am I to believe then that that was not true?
1: (laughs) um well apparently it wasn't true yeah <laughs> i mean in 2016 when roy cooper was running for governor he had one of his spokespeople um address this and they they said quote there is no backlog right So, uh, but there clearly was a backlog um now whether she was talking about the the actual crime lab, lab backlog overall or not it it really is immaterial because if there was a rape kit backlog then that's part of the crime lab backlog (laughs) um so so it's it's splitting hairs really
0: i think so yeah Mm -hmm. i think if you're going to say that there's no backlog then there shouldn't be a backlog and when the next guy walks in the door and finds a backlog it means you lied um so uh, i this kind of uh this connects to the campaign here and i got actually in the mail um this came from let's see paid for by the Democratic Party of North Carolina and authorized by Josh Stein, candidate for attorney general. And uh, it's a big, it's like almost like an 8 by 11 mailer, uh, folded in half. And uh, they give Jim O'Neill... an F for his failed record of 1,500 rape kits untested, half of domestic violence cases unprosecuted. Uh, They accuse him of leaving 1,509 rape kits untested, allowing rapists to walk the streets where they could attack again. He failed to prosecute hundreds of cases of domestic violence, uh, one year, forty-eight percent of reported cases weren't prosecuted at all. Now, this is interesting. I thought because when I compared it to your article, um, O'Neill has a pretty good record when it comes to convictions, does he not?
1: He does, and it's it's kind of neither here nor there. His his attack ad there because he he's really going to boomerang. Um, rape kits aren't. Kept, uh, they're kept in law enforcement custody until they're tested. And guess who tests those? The state crime lab. And who <laughs> runs the state crime lab? The Department of Justice, which is overseen by Josh Stein. So, if there were untested kits in Forsyth County, it's directly the responsibility of. Josh Stein in the Department of
0: Justice. Right, because O'Neill's a DA. He's a prosecutor and the DAs right, don't test the kits. It's not
1: his job to test the kits.
0: Right. They gotta rely on the labs to test the kits. And if the labs are all backlogged because of poor management, well, then yeah, that's not the DA's fault. Um but also, as you noted, his um Uh, O'Neill has the highest conviction rate in the state for crimes dealing with sexual assault. That was left out of the the attack yet, although he does go on to say that Josh Stein gets an A-plus for keeping North Carolina families safe. I don't know... I don't know who gave the grade there. I guess they gave it to themselves. <laughs> they gave themselves an A+. It doesn't have any sort of... Uh, <laughs> no. no. There's no citation? None at all. They no. gave, So they gave Jim O'Neill an F, and they give themselves an A+. Totally legit. Um, And it says here, Josh Stein, eliminating the backlog of rape kits. When Josh Stein became attorney general, he tracked down every rape kit in possession of local law enforcement. He secured $6 million to eliminate the testing backlog and created a secure statewide tracking system system. Now, law enforcement is solving cold cases, delivering justice for victims and putting rapists behind bars. But what you just said sounds like that that might not actually be true. He did not track down every rape kit in possession of local law enforcement.
1: Well, yeah, his his own his own department did a survey of all law enforcement to get an idea of how many kits were actually out there. Um, There's a, a group called End the Backlog. And they had uh, the, the number of the 15,160, um, which ranked North Carolina number one in the country for backlog where kept like far beyond any other state. Um, but that survey that he sent out, um, nine, like I said, 92% of law enforcement agencies responded to that inventory request. And there were 46 agencies who didn't respond at all. Now whether they finally followed up with them and got that information, I can't be clear, but the report that they did publish, the DOJ, the North Carolina DOJ did publish, said that they were missing a swath of uh, agencies who Mm hadn't reported the status of their cases.
0: So that would seem to be impossible, that they could, quote, track down every rape kit in possession of local law enforcement if they didn't respond. Unless, of course, they're assuming that non-response means they don't have any. I guess that could be it, too. Um, Also, I think it's interesting that he says he secured all of this money To test these uh, backlogged kits, which but that came from the General Assembly. That was the Republican General Assembly that did that, not him.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I believe the governor also gave some money from one of his one of his funds that he has purview over.
0: Well, and he does have a lot of those and he would like uh, a great many more uh, if he gets his way with like the slush funds for the pipeline. But I digress. This uh, this this rape kit backlog issue uh, and that campaign because what I just read came from a mailer. uh, But there was also a TV ad. I have not seen the ad, but they uh, I I think it features the same uh, person, the same woman uh, in this ad and there's this mm-hmm. ad that's running have you seen the ad personally have you seen it i know you're what you're in the raleigh area you're bombarded by yeah. <laughs> um,
1: i haven't seen it and i know that it's actually off the air now Oh, ah, okay um, i did i did do a little checking in to see if it was still a live ad and i think it, it went out of circulation um like last month or the end of or the end of uh august somewhere in there it was it was a while back that this thing ran um, but yeah, it was very similar to that. And it was, it was claiming that, um, his opponent was, you know, hadn't been testing these things when in effect, it, it was really Stein's office that had not been testing
0: them. And the ad was so over the line that a guy by the name of Bill Hart Sr. Um, he's he, it led him to resign his position, um, He's, uh, he said, well, until October 5th, he had worked part time for Stein as the sexual assault kit initiative site coordinator for the state crime lab. What, this was interesting, too, according to the News and Observer story. Apparently, this guy got the job because his son had the job and then his son had to go out on leave. And so he started doing it. They asked him to do it. I mean, he has experience doing it. I just thought it was kind yeah. of interesting that, you know, son goes down and so dad comes in. I thought it's just weird. <laughs> but Yeah,
1: it's I mean, it would if it was any other employee that had resigned, it, it might have been sort of seen maybe as political. But the the guy who resigned, this this Hart William Hart person, he you know as you said, he's a sexual assault initiative site coordinator. Yeah for the NC crime lab. So like this he knows he knows who's doing the testing and who's not doing the testing. And for him to resign and protest, that's that's a fairly strong rebuke, I would think.
0: Right, and he doesn't he, he doesn't unload entirely on Stein. He says, look, what Josh Stein says in the ad, or what this woman says about Josh Stein uh, is true, that he has been working hard with a lot of people to get the kits off the shelves and get them tested. Um, he says, but it wouldn't have happened, I don't think, if we didn't have the feds getting involved and in providing grant money for people to work on the project. He said he was bothered by the ad's last statement Uh, Because he said it not only wrongfully attacked O'Neill, but also every other DA in the state. He said Jim O'Neill nor any other DA has anything to do with sending sexual assault kits for testing. It's law enforcement that sends them, uh, not the DAs, as we talked about uh, moments ago
1: yeah there was uh, he he spoke to the news and observer i believe and there was a quote that said um, hart said that if jim o'neill left kits on the shelf then every da left kits on the shelf and law enforcement left kits on the shelf and it creates a false impression
0: right so
1: yeah um it, 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 it all tracks back to the fact that the crime lab is the one who's handling these things not da's not prosecutors not you know and not anyone else and the, i think Stein tried to tried to hit O'Neill on on his strength, which is being a a prosecutor for domestic violence and having a good record on that. He tried to chip at that. But by doing so, I think it boomeranged back at him.
0: Yeah. I'm talking with AP Dillon from the North State Journal. Look, if you are trying to buy or sell a house, then here's a name for you. Rowena Patton, Rowena Patton and her all star powerhouse team. uh, If you're buying or selling, they're the only people you need to call. The best real estate agents in the Asheville area. She outsells ninety-nine percent of the realtors in North Carolina. Uh, so buying or selling, she's the only one I would call. In fact, we are using her to buy our house. Uh, I've got friends who just listed their house, and within uh, I think forty-eight hours, they had multiple offers. Um, they're going to be they're going to be out of that house and into their new home uh, in another state. They're going to be probably what within a month that's how fast you can write the next chapter uh, of your life because that you don't want to get stuck having two mortgages right you, you that's a terrible spot to be in uh it, you, then then you're over a barrel with two payments and you're probably gonna you know take less money for the house than it's worth uh so get Rowena to sell the house for you okay and she'll get more money and get it sold quickly Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team 333 4483 that's 333. 4483. If you're looking to buy, she's got homes in all price points. 333 4483, mountainhomehunt.com and start packing. So, AP Dillon from North State Journal, you also mentioned that Josh Stein hasn't really seen fit to do a lot of defending in court of uh the state um he, he he does sue the trump administration a lot as you mentioned he puts out a lot of uh psa's and and goes after robo callers and telemarketers medicaid fraud and i'm not saying he shouldn't do those things but i also recognize the value and roy cooper was sort of the uh a trailblazer in this regard you know doing these uh these public uh campaigns these customer protection efforts because then he would get all sorts of psa's and they count as psa's not campaign commercials. And so he gets taxpayers to foot the bill for the PSAs that are basically campaign commercials for him. And then he gets the halo effect of, look at me, I'm watching out for you. And so, uh, Stein is doing this as well, but he's not really going to court a lot, um, to defend the Republicans. And that's also following in the footsteps of Roy Cooper, right? I mean, Cooper, uh, like at the end of his term, he quit defending Republicans on what HB two. And then there were some voter laws, um, and look at you know if you if you don't want the job of defending the state in court then don't run for the job of defending the state in court. Although I guess it's we should note that as soon as Cooper got out of the attorney general's office, now he he loves going to court. Um, <laughs> now he'll sue he'll sue the Republicans all over the place. Uh, so I guess that's what it takes. Is after your AG, then you start going to court. Um, against your own people, against the North Carolina General Assembly.
1: Yeah, he he definitely picked up that mantle. Near the end of his term there, um, Roy Cooper was not really defending the state um for any reason, <laughs> for the most part. He was he was out campaigning instead for that last year. Um uh, voter ID, HB two, all of those come up. Um uh, one of Stein's first actions was dismissing the General Assembly's petition that was pending at the, um, the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court, regarding our 2013 voter law. Mm-hmm. Um, the Republicans at the time turned around and said that Stein was neglecting his duties and that they were forced to seek outside counsel, which they shouldn't have to do. That's his job is to defend them. Um, additionally, um, there was a briefing that was in, that was tied to that um, dismissal that Stein moved for, uh, where he was he was um, they accused him of misconduct and ethical violations um, in presenting that material to the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, I don't know that anything actually came of it uh, by the end of the day, but uh, Mm -hmm. the most severe claim in that was that he had been a witness for the plaintiffs in the case that he was now moving to dismiss (laughs) while he was a sitting senator. Um, And also, uh, it's noteworthy that his father, Adam Stein, was one of the lawyers who filed one of the initial cases attacking the state's voter integrity laws. Um, So this is this is also possibly, you know, maybe he should have recused himself in that and shouldn't have had no no fingers on it at that point.
0: Yeah. Well, and this is also sort of a pattern we see with the Board of Elections settlement, this consent agreement that now has been uh, uh, abandoned because of uh, all of the rulings from these federal judges. Uh, Same sort of deal, right? Where he's got connections with the litigant. He gave, uh, you know, he was the keynote speaker at this AFL-CIO organization's convention in 2018, talking about Mm -hmm. election law. And he uh, then is on supposedly the other side of the aisle when they sue the state and the Board of Elections over the absentee balloting. And he then enters into this agreement. They settle with the litigants and they settle to basically do an end run around uh, state law. Uh, this is like I consider this to be highly unethical. He also did not include the Republican uh, uh, Defendants in this case, either when they did their consent deal—that is, again, another example of how Stein operates—he did that to them before, as you just mentioned.
1: Yes, he did. And with the consent decree that just recently uh, has been the topic of conversation for the last few weeks, um, involved uh, the retired American veteran Americans. It was—it's an AFL-CIO union-style group, as you mentioned, and Stein was their keynote speaker a couple years back at their. Uh, at their one of their meetings. But also um, also involved in that was Mark Elias mm-hmm. of Perkins Valley. Um, Mark Elias was uh, Hillary Clinton's campaign lawyer. He also had his fingers on the uh, Fusion GPS dossier which was uh, on Trump, which was now debunked. But it's also worth noting that he was uh, an attorney for Kay Hagan, the late Kay Hagan, when she was running, and also that he was Cooper's attorney during the 2016 recount. Mm -hmm. As well as being the attorney for Dan McCready in the North Carolina 09 ballot harvesting case, which was what promulgated the the need for absentee ballot um, safeguards to be put in place. These are the same safeguards that the consent decree was trying to dismantle. So he was trying to dismantle his own work, in in essence, there. Um, and as you stated, um, the the General Assembly had no idea this consent decree was going forward uh, between the NCSB and uh, Elias and his clients. So, um, from what I understand, yesterday afternoon, um, Stein and his and the N NCSB uh, filed a motion to leave part of that suit Mm -hmm. the only thing that's now on the table the absentee ballots will be um will be counted and will be cured in the process that was already under law at this point under that leave motion however um there's one part of that decree that settlement um that was being worked on uh that will be left in place and i think that that is the extension of how long the ballots will be accepted correct i want to say that it's um they wanted it extended to November 12th. So if your, your ballot was postmarked on Election Day and shows up on November 12th, it'll still be counted.
0: Right. Which I think is the same time period for military absentee ballots to, uh, uh, you know, if they're, as long as they're postmarked by Election Day. I think that's yeah. the same window and that they just they normalize that across civilian and military Um and I mean, I, I don't know, like I live in Asheville. They closed our post office, all of our mail you know, routes through Greenville, South Carolina now. And so it, it, it takes a week and a half to mail something across town here. So <laughs> not necessarily. Uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not completely unsympathetic to this idea that we might need to give uh, some more time. But uh, but now that early voting is is underway. I mean, the you've seen the numbers, right? They've all like shifted uh, big time from the absentee by mail into early voting now. So,
1: uh, I- oh, yeah. And, you know, I think that it's interesting to see that, you know, with the extension of, of the ballots being accepted, the absentee ballots being accepted through the 12th, it will allow for this the election results to drag on. We won't know until the middle of November the final results here in North Carolina. And I think that nationally you're going to see that in a lot of states. We probably won't know for a month who really won what races and it's going to be an ugly battle. I'm really not looking forward to it, Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) to covering that. it's going to be kind of interesting, but, um, the, the, the voter stats, you know, have, it's really amped up. As you said, um, there was, let's see, uh, as of yesterday, um, I was looking at the stats this morning and they were, um, 1,853,535 1,853,535 ballots that have been cast as of the end of the day yesterday.
0: So 1.8? Um,
1: yep. Uh, then that's out of 7.2 million registered voters in North Carolina. Um, so between the start of the day yesterday, the end of the day yesterday, over 419,000 people voted, almost 420,000 people. I, I um, usually, yeah,
0: and I'll usually, that's pretty interesting. It is. And I'll usually get people that ask, oh, what does it mean uh, you know, is this good for Republicans? Good for Democrats? And like, I anybody who thinks that they know what the early voting uh, and and absentee ballots, like, nobody knows. Nobody has, every election is different. Nobody knows which way this stuff breaks. Uh, The unaffiliated population in this state is so large that, uh, and they, you know, and 90% of them break towards party line, along party lines always. So you're talking, you know, Mm 8 to 10% of these unaffiliateds. That's who that's it's just like every other election. So um, it's, you know, I think a lot of the early voting and absentee balloting that has occurred already is largely cannibalizing the election day voting. And, um, I it think, is. Yeah.
1: and you know, the absentee by mail, there's um, six six hundred and forty one thousand over over that amount have um, come back already. The absentee by mail. Um, and that's out of over one point three eight million that mm. were requested so, I mean, who knows if those will, you know, I don't think that we'll see all the absentee ballots that were requested to come back. That just never happens. Right. Some people request it because they don't know if the voting lines will be too long or if they'll get there or not. But um, I think that we're going to see an incre- a continued increase in and in a good pace in the in person voting.
0: Right. Well, and also early voting this year, especially, makes a lot of sense because uh, you don't know, you might get sick. You know, you may you, you may get COVID and you have to stay home and then you'll miss uh, election day. So it makes sense right. to kind of go out and do the early voting if you can, while you can.
1: Yeah, I voted yesterday, actually, um, in my own hometown down here. <clears throat> Excuse me. sound so like I'm underwater. Um, <laughs> and I was the hundredth person to vote in our location. And I have been, I waited for an hour in line. Oh, I got wow. there 15 minutes after the polls opened. And I still waited for an hour. But then you have to realize that there are only eight voting booths that were available at my location. So it's and we were socially distanced and a line wrapped around the building. It looks intimidating, but folks need to get out and just stand in that line and just do it. I mean, it's it is what it is.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, AP Dillon, writer or reporter at the North State Journal. You can read her work at NSJ online. AP, always good to have you on. Thanks so much for uh, spending some time with me. I appreciate it.
1: Thanks for
0: having me, Pete. All right. If you are sleeping on a bed that is lumpy, it is sagging, it's got like a huge crater in the middle of it and you just like roll into it when you get into bed, that's not good, folks. That's not. And... Getting a good night's sleep is really important, not just to your physical health, but also to your mental health. Uh, now more than ever, in these uncertain times, you need a good mattress. And uh, that's why I cannot more highly recommend Mattress Man. Christy and I bought our mattress from them years ago. We love our memory foam mattress. Uh They have sleep consultants there that'll help you pick the right mattress for you, whether it's a memory foam or it's an inner spring uh, or it's a natural latex mattress. Uh, They've got adjustable bases as well, so you can elevate your feet uh, for better circulation. You can elevate your head, uh, which helps reduce snoring. Uh, They'll help you with all of this, and then... They have five-star local delivery service. They have a 120-day comfort guarantee. They ship nationwide. They have four stores, though, in Asheville, Arden, and Hendersonville. Go online to their website, MattressManStores.com, and look at all their inventory. And if you want to pick up the mattress yourself, head on over to their warehouse, grab it, and go. Do it yourself. That's totally fine. They're going to work with you. Great people at MattressMan. Great products like the Biltmore Collection by Restonic, made in Fayetteville. Only at MattressMan. Stores. Com. Experience the difference at Mattress Man. Buy local and sleep better. So uh, Josh Stein, the Attorney General running for re-election, he has so far refused to comply with state law and turn over documents surrounding that secretive deal, that consent agreement with the Democratic Party's super lawyer, Mark Elias, where they attempted to rewrite the election laws of the state. Uh, in a press release from Senate, President Pro Tem Phil Berger said last month, Governor Cooper's Board of Elections and Democratic Attorney General Josh Stein ambushed their co-defendants, the legislature, by settling a lawsuit that was filed by Governor Cooper's former lawyer, Mark Elias, to undo state laws regarding absentee ballot fraud. Two federal judges have already rebuked the move. Following the secretive deal, the legislators sent records production requests under state law to both the Board of Elections and the Attorney General, Josh Stein. The BOE, the Board of Elections, responded with thousands of documents within days, despite an ongoing election and a fraction of the staff that the DOJ has. The only response legislators received from Attorney General Stein's office was an email stating that the DOJ is, quote, unable to determine an expected date to produce responsive records. I'm going to go out on a limb, make a prediction here. They will have the records after the election. So I'm thinking like three weeks from now (laughs) by the earliest. It's just just a guess i have no idea <laughs> all right so uh the governor who controls the state board of elections with his appointments uh he apparently or the board apparently issued another one of their memos that seems to be lawless yet again this time they're telling cops they cannot be at the polling locations Because, quote, some voters find a law enforcement presence to be intimidating. Okay? I have the memo that was issued by the Board of Elections, went out to the counties, and. It says contact local law enforcement as soon as a situation begins to escalate beyond the ability of election officials to respond and control the situation. It is appropriate to contact law enforcement any time there's a reasonable concern for individual safety or election officials believe that the situation may be likely to get out of control. Okay, so if you are able to predict the future, call the cops. Okay, Um, and then obviously, if if something does break out, some sort of uh, issue erupts, uh, then yes, call the cops. But do not just have a cop hanging around the area or driving around an area. That's not allowed. They say it is not appropriate or permissible for law enforcement to be stationed at a voting place in the event a county board must utilize law enforcement for parking and traffic issues at a voting site. The officers must be in plain clothes because I'm gonna to listen to somebody in the middle of a parking lot telling me where to park at the school when I go vote. This is you're telling so you can't have a uniformed officer in a parking lot directing traffic at a voting location. <laughs> According to the Board of Elections, this is our State Board of Elections under the guidance of Democrats. This is the infection that uh, this ideology has uh, on all agencies and all institutions uh, that it gets into. A- a law enforcement, this is from the memo, law enforcement may periodically drive by a voting site in the event heightened security is needed. County boards of elections Must be mindful that some voters find a law enforcement presence at the polls to be intimidating. County boards may use law enforcement as an escort outside of voting hours and should call law enforcement if an incident occurs. Law enforcement officers are permitted to vote while wearing their uniforms. Oh, isn't that nice of them? They're going to let cops vote in uniform. If they get like a half hour on lunch break, they can go swing on by and vote. So isn't that nice? The Democrats on the Board of Elections, they're saying, you can do that. We'll allow you to do that. But you better then get the hell right off of the property. Because if you start hanging around, that's intimidating, you being a cop and all. If a county board uses private security, the security guards shall be unarmed and shall not be stationed inside the voting enclosure. They may wear their uniforms, though. So you can wear, (laughs) if if you're private security, you can wear the uniform but uh you can't be armed if you're a cop you could be plain clothes and armed but not in uniform okay but if you're voting then you could totally stay in uniform vote and then get the hell off the premises so the uh the senate elections committee co-chairs senators ralph hise warren daniel And Paul Newton put out a press release and they say, we know a thing or two about election law. Governor Cooper's Board of Elections is not a law enforcement agency and has no authority to direct police action. The board must rescind yet another lawless memorandum that undermines election security. They go on to say the unelected Board of Elections has no police authority and is controlled by a candidate for office, by the way. That's Roy Cooper. Um, the directive also attempts to determine police activity outside of the 50-foot buffer zone, which I don't think that's allowable. Um, It should not be allowable to run a really bad website. That should be banned, okay? So here's the answer. If you've got a website that's not functioning correctly, you know there's problems with it, but you don't know the first thing about how to fix it, then get in contact with Schaefer Smith Design. SchaeferSmith.com. OK, your website is super important and you need it to operate well. You need it to look professional. You want it to be user friendly and great design can actually solve a lot of a website's problems. So professional services, corporate, small business entrepreneurs, Schaefer Smith can help you all with graphics and photos and online store search engine optimization, logos, website maintenance and security. He does it all. SchaeferSmith.com and get the most out of your website. That's SchaeferSmith.com. Another article over at the North State Journal the other day, the North Carolina Supreme Court's Chief Justice Sherry Beasley, along with Court of Appeals Judge Lucy Inman, uh, filmed campaign ads inside their judicial chambers in August, even as emergency directives signed by Chief Justice Beasley restricted courthouse access. In an email, North Carolina Judicial Branch Communications Director Sharon Gladwell confirmed that Beasley and Inman filmed the ads on the weekend of August 22nd and 23rd. Gladwell said that the Supreme Court and Court of Appeals buildings remained open to the public and that the buildings remain open to justices and judges after business hours. However, in Emergency Directive 4, which was signed by Beasley, the, the chief justice, the language states that, quote, attorneys and other persons who do not have business in a courthouse should not enter a courthouse, and those who do have business in a courthouse should not prolong their visit once their business has concluded. Both the Supreme Court and Court of Appeals have been holding remote arguments since la- uh, since late March. Her orders have also amounted to a moratorium on jury trials in the district courts and superior courts. Uh, Tim Wigington, who is the North Carolina GOP press secretary said, quote, Beasley's courtrooms are a uh, courtroom are open for her campaigns, but closed to victims of violent crimes. Using co- uh, closed courtrooms for her political purposes raises serious ethical concerns. And uh, she should immediately explain why she chose to use her courtroom for her campaign, but kept courts closed for victims of, of violent crimes. I just think it looks unseemly. It just just looks bad, right? Because it is bad. It just looks bad to say, you know, everything's shut down. We're going to do all arguments remotely, no jury trials, you know, justice delayed and all of that. Uh, But meanwhile, I'm going to go shoot an ad in my courtroom or in my chambers or whatever. I'm going to shoot an ad because it makes me look all, you know, judgy, like, like, you know, makes me look judicial. Um, and, And so I understand the optics of it. It's it's kind. But you know what it is? It's kind of like the Cal Cunningham story where, you know, they're telling everybody wear a mask, stay home, safer at home. We're all in this together. Blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, I'm going to fly my mistress across the country, uh, have sex in our house for a week while my family's away and then put her on a plane and send her back. Like, I think that might be in violation of the covid protocols. Right. Like, it's just it it doesn't seem like a smart thing. Now, politically, I guess it is kind of smart because Democrats were all like celebrating when the polling came out that uh, Cal Cunningham's numbers have not tanked. Um, And in fact, he's picked up some voters among the uh, the male demographic. Apparently, this is the pro adultery demographic. I didn't even realize there was one. The Supreme Court process, though, is apparently more important in North Carolina's Senate race than Cunningham's affair, according to a WRAL story on this. Um, Survey USA polled 669 likely and actual voters, um, and it's got a plus or minus of like four and a half percent. And it turns out that he still holds a sizable lead uh, among women, 54 to 37. Uh, Tillis did uh, uh, eat into some of that lead a little bit he's picked up some support from women who had been undecided in the race um his 11 point lead among men evaporated though cunningham now has a slight majority or a slight margin of um of uh, advantage in the male category more than 60 percent of poll respondents said the affair had no impact on their votes in the upcoming election but then there's another story this week from National File, Patrick Howley, uh, where they've identified and named the second mistress. We'll see if North Carolina media picks up on that. Cal Cunningham still in hiding, still not taking any questions. Tom Tillis has put out a statement on this. Cal Cunningham's refusal to deny a second extramarital affair serves as confirmation that he engaged in egregious misconduct in addition to what has already landed him under ...under investigation by the Army Reserve. If Cal Cunningham cheats and lies while he asks for your vote... He will continue to cheat and lie as your U.S. senator. North Carolinians deserve to know the full scope of Cal's transgressions, and he needs to stop hiding and start providing straight answers. The fact that Cunningham wants to avoid answering for his behavior for the next two weeks in order to win an election shows an unprecedented level of arrogance and self-centeredness that makes him unfit to be a public servant at any level. Then you had Joe Biden come to North Carolina. He met with Governor Cooper on the tarmac at the airport uh, where Biden was wearing two masks. Apparently doubling up on the masks is uh, now the thing to do. So he's wearing the N95 mask, a little white one underneath, and he's got a cloth mask over that. Anyway, he's talking to Roy Cooper and Roy Cooper says, you know, we're going to we're going to. Uh, drag it across the finish line. We're gonna we're gonna pull it out, basically. We're uh, all right. Poor choice, but he said we're gonna we're gonna win. We're looking good. We're gonna deliver the state for you, Vice President Biden. And he says, you know, Cal, even Cal Cunningham. Yeah, it was disappointing or frustrating. Uh, but we're gonna we're gonna drag him across the finish line. So that's that's the game plan here. We're gonna keep him in hiding, and we're gonna hope that the polling we're seeing is enough. To withstand this late charge or this erosion, however you want to look at it, that it's going to be enough to get us through the election. That's the plan. Just have him shut up, do a couple of Zoom meetings, and uh, you know, make a couple of statements where he reads off the cards, and then and then disconnects from the computer, and that's it. And they're hoping to sneak him past uh, with all of this scandal. Meanwhile, the FEC. Um, Now is looking into him. A conservative watchdog group filed an FEC complaint asking for an investigation into his March trip to California, where he used campaign funds. Um, Quote, there's a lot of questions that need to be answered. Americans for Public Trust Executive Director Caitlin Sutherland told Fox News he had an event on March 6th. What hotel did he stay in uh, on the 7th? The FEC complaint lists about $600 in travel fees that were spent uh, between March 5th and March 8th, but news of the affair necessitates a closer look at Cunningham's campaign spending. Quote, we have seen instances where individuals have disguised the nature of their payments. The easiest example is Duncan Hunter, a former Republican congressman. FEC records are not like real-time credit card statements. Cunningham appears to have had two campaign events out there. In March, there was a podcast appearance and a dinner with donors. On March seventh, a prominent California political donor posted on Facebook that she had met Mr. Cunningham at dinner the night before. On October sixth, it got reported that uh he had engaged in an extramarital affair in California in March of twenty twenty. So it seems like the trip lines up with this uh with the scandal, right? So did he use campaign funds Uh, in furtherance of his affair the guy is now apparently a serial adulterer we now know this um, and he's not denying it just like hunter biden not denying the emails or the laptop was his sons nobody is denying this they're hoping that the media keeps a lid on it through the election so this way they can take control of the levers of government okay that's the play Now, if your play is to uh, go out hunting or maybe you work outside, you need some good, warm equipment and clothing for the wintertime. Okay, winter is coming. Go to Old Grouch's Military Surplus. Pick yourself up some thermal underwear. This is military grade. He's also got... Uh, Wool sweaters, military field jackets. These come in green, solid green, and in camouflage. Wool and fleece toboggans, wool socks, Gore-Tex jackets. He's got emergency kits for the car, uh, like a folding shovel, warm clothing and blankets, like the space blanket, you know, that keeps your body heat in. Um, Emergency rations that can be left in the car that won't spoil. Also, military-grade backpacks. These are great for kids. Going back to school, they're going to last a lot longer than the kinds you get at the... uh, The big box stores, those cheap ones. Um, Also, he's got ammo cans. These are great for storing ammo, obviously, but also tools, anything really. Dry storage for rifles, fishing gear, put them in your garage, your truck, your shed, whatever. Uh, It's really cool. Think about it for a Christmas gift as well. Tons of real U.S. military surplus for more than three decades, all at Old Grouch's Military Surplus on Main Street in downtown Clyde. Shop is open Monday through Saturday. It's across the street from the anti-aircraft gun and at oldgrouch.com. Earlier in the program when I was talking with AP Dillon, I mentioned some of the stats on unaffiliated voters. So I've got this. And by the way, all of this is up at the pe- uh, page over at the Patreon account. If you become a patron, you get access to all of the prep. And so uh, this is linked up there. So uh, unaffiliated voters. This was a piece by EQV Analytics. This is they self-describe themselves as data science turning Carolina blue. Right, So they are progressives. They uh, they're of the left. They want North Carolina to be run by Democrats. And so uh, just to keep that in mind. But the analytics here, the, the analysis, I should say, uh, I think is is sound. So they looked at unaffiliated voters. They say North Carolina. Um, unaffiliated voters are the electorate's fastest growing segment, right? Unaffiliated voters, of which I am one, now outnumber Republicans and they are on a course to overtake Democratic registered voters. Um, our swing unaffiliated numbers sufficiently great enough to deserve a progressive campaign's attention? This is their question. Obviously, from the left, they want to win the votes. Fortunately, they say here in North Carolina, that question is uniquely answerable. They say we can know rather than guess the political liens of unaffiliated Tar Heels because North Carolina is among the nation's few states that have Semi-closed primaries, where unaffiliateds can vote in either Democrat or Republican or Libertarian or any party primary. uh, Also, open voter uh, history data, so I can find out people's uh, voter history. Semi-closed and... Open voter history. Okay, so it allows them to do this analysis. And they recently completed a study of the voter histories of every North Carolina primary voting unaffiliated from 2010 through 2018. Our analysis confirms the common opinion that most unaffiliated voters, 92 percent of them, are partisans without parties. In other words, they always vote for the same party generally. It also underscores the importance, though, of working to win over the substantial minority of unaffiliated voters, the 8%, who are true swing voters, more than half of whom favored Democrats in 2018 for the first time in recent history. Generally speaking, Republicans get more of the unaffiliated vote than Democrats. In 2018, it was 55 to 45%. Previous year uh, election in 2016, it was 58 42, In 2014 it was 60% to 40%. So that's generally the breakdown. And now you know. That's a wrap for this episode. I appreciate you listening. Subscribe to the podcast. That's the best way you can help me out. Give it a positive review. I appreciate that as well. And consider becoming a patron of the program. Get cool stuff and exclusive content at the Pete Callender Talk with you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone.